All right, welcome to episode number 11 of the Backlash Podcast. Tonight I have a guest who recently won the NWT on Green Bay. He also won the PMTT Mega Tournament on Lake Vermilion last summer. Uh, welcome, John Hoyer. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. And my co-host tonight, who has recently won his Backyard Pool Tournament. He's also dominated in horseshoes and chess. We have Brad Hoppy. <laughs> How's it going, everybody? Uh, I didn't want to be left out, so Jeff kind of uh, threw a few things out there for me. So I feel way better now, Jeff. That's Thanks. good. I'm glad. I mean, I, I was worried about you. You know, after we introduced John and he's got all these accolades, I was concerned that your ego and my ego would be crushed. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's good stuff. I love it. Um, I'm really happy to have John on. You know, it's going to be exciting to to kind of learn some different things and different points of views of, uh, you know, the crossover. This is what we talked about we were going to do. And uh, tonight we're finally going to do it, Jeff. We got uh, we got a guy on here that's winning walleye tournaments and he's winning musky tournaments. So the best of both worlds. I also saw that recently he competed in the Sturgeon Bay Open too. So he's obviously got some smallmouth experience too. I mean, yeah, this is cool. Like Certainly this is obviously something we talked about, Brad, is having the guys on that aren't just musky fishermen. John's going to bring us some knowledge in both cases, and uh, hopefully you guys enjoy the show tonight. So, John, why don't we start out with the background? We can kind of get you the background on, you know, how you became tournament fishing. We can mix in, like, you know, the the sponsorship end of it, too, if you want to talk about that all in the one thing. You know, if you want to get started, I guess, you know, what got you into, let's just say, competitive fishing? Um, yeah, it's pretty simple, actually. Um, our, our mutual friend, Paul Hartman, who runs the Minnesota Muskie Expo, um, back in the day, he used to run the Minnesota tournament trail. So I'd been musky fishing for one entire season and was infatuated with it, you know, triggering fish boat side with a bucktail. It was like, I couldn't get enough of it. So, uh, my buddy, Andy Ham and I, who Andy got me into musky fishing, uh, we fished our first tournament on Lake Vermilion. I think it was 2007 and, um, literally just didn't know the lake at all just like hey we want to learn musky fishing we want to fish tournaments we're doing this so um that's how i got my start i really hadn't fished any walleye tournaments i didn't fish any bass tournaments yet um but i knew i wanted to compete you know kind of filling in for like high school and college sports which i think is is kind of a common ground for a lot of competitive anglers is you know they were they did have a sports background so um, I fished that tournament trail till it kind of dissolved. I think it was three years and then, uh, fished the PMDT tournament trail for a few years with Jason Hammernick. Um, and then I don't know where that would put me, but, uh, a few smaller walleye tournaments. And then I, I started as a co-angler on the national walleye tour. So I think that was six years ago now. Um, and the very first one I ever entered, I won. And that enabled me to tell my boss, my union carpenter boss, that, hey, I'm taking a week off to pre-fish with these guys and fish these tournaments the next, you know, three tournaments of the year. So I had $8,000 in my pocket. It was extra money. And uh, I went ahead and fished all four of them. And then the following year, fished again as a co-angler, and I won co-angler of the year. So um, for me, that that's what all of a sudden made me uh, pointed towards like making that jump to the pro side of the walleye tour 
Um, you know, muskies were my number one fish as far as like effort and time on the water, but I'd always fish walleyes, you know, in the spring and then through the ice. So, you know, I love walleye fishing and I had the opportunity to get on that team with Corey Sprangle, Bill Shimoda and Dustin Mankey. So, you know, before I even knew if I could qualify to own a 620 Ranger, I ordered one and uh, just like, I'm going to figure this out. If I have to guide for muskies more or whatever, I'm going to do it. So, um, yeah, this is my fourth year on the National Walleye Tour. I cashed a check my second year for the first time. That was a second place. And then I think I got like seventh at the championship. A couple checks last year and then the second tournament this year which was last weekend um i fulfilled my my lifelong goal like number one goal in life to win on the national walleye stage so um here i am i guess that's kind of a synopsis of it well congrats john you know I, one of the things that i'd like to pick your brain about a little bit what if some of the listeners out there would kind of like to jump into that deal how do you become that uh co-angler uh, it's really simple. So you can, the 100% guarantee is if you can find a pro that you can, uh, sign up with. So then you're guaranteed entry if you sign up a pro because they, they pair the pro and the co-angler for each tournament. Um, but inevitably wherever we travel, there'll be 20, 30 locals that will get into the tournament and there'll be spots for another, you know, 20 co-anglers that just sign up themselves. So, um, I learned firsthand and I tell everybody who asks that question, it is, it's, I think it's 350 or $400 entry fee. And my learning curve, as far as Great Lakes trolling, you know, everything Great Lakes, um, it, it just skyrocketed literally in, in one year, it was, I times 10, my knowledge of fishing one rod in Minnesota. So the best money any fisherman can spend if you want to learn is that $400 as a co-angler and you get multiple days with that, uh, as a co-angler versus like say a guide trip that costs you four fifty five hundred $500. you that entry fee kind of gives you two or three days of guiding basically. Right. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, so you get two days and then on top of that, you know, so you're fishing with two different pros who figured out two completely different patterns in practice. Um, and then just go down the list of the lottery who you could get paired with. Keith Gavias, Gary Parsons, Corey Sprangle, Jason Shakir. Like every time at those meetings when you're getting the pairing meeting, you know, you're sitting there greasing your palms, like can't wait to be picked with. And then you hear the name and it's, you know, it, it's so exciting to go um, join that pro for the day, make it happen for him, you know, talk to him the whole day, pick his brain. It's literally the best money you can spend in fishing. That's really cool. Super cool. Yeah, that is a really cool story. Um, I mean, did you ever get paired with any of the, the big names like that when you were uh, as a co-angler? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I fished with Dave Anderson on Green Bay. Um, you know, like we had a 13th place bag after day one. I fished with Gary Parsons the final day at the championship. Um, let me think who else uh yeah those are those are hard to remember at this point um but yeah i mean just uh you know i probably had like three of those really big names that i fished with and then the other guys you know i did well with all of them that one year it was hilarious um i think my worst finish was fifth so it like it didn't matter who i fished with they had their best day of the tournament they had their best day of their their life like it was it was so funny how it came together but um really you just can't 
you can't put a price on that excitement when that pro is fishing for $85,000 and you just landed a five pounder for him. Like the excitement of that is just amazing. That's good stuff. Really good stuff. Um, I know because I know you, John, um, walleyes trigger you, muskies trigger you, but I know for a fact that a perch will get you going. A bluegill will get you going and you're a multi species angler. I mean, that's what you do. Um, you're on the water all the time. And, uh, so what was the first bug that really got you in this whole game? Yeah. I mean, it was perch, it was crappies, it was walleyes, you know, perch crappies in the spring. Uh, I'd risk my life on late ice to catch big bluegills. And the second the ice melted, I don't care about catching a bluegill. I just want to catch a crappie. Um, and then like, you know, never even fished for perch in open water, but I'll go drill literally 500 holes in a day in March through 30 inches of ice to catch a jumbo perch. So I still, to this day, probably say perch fishing, ice fishing is my favorite, but, um, really, I never really learned why, um, until I started musky fishing and I, I, it gets kind of cliche cause I talk about it all the time, but I realized that, you know, that adage of like, it's not the fish that you're, you're fishing for. It's that experience. And I, muskies taught me that like to watch ourselves trash our bodies, you know, burning cowgirls, burning supermodels, um, relentlessly, like until you couldn't even keep your eyes open. Um, that taught me like how we actually are looking forward to the anticipation of catching that muskie or even just planning that trip leading up to that trip. So now I just like smile all the time because I put that data that while I turn on my calendar, I got nine months to look forward to it. It leads right up to the very first day of the tournament. So for me, it doesn't matter what the species is. It's really just that whole experience with friends and like, you know, chasing a trophy fish, regardless of species. You know, one thing you bring up, you bring up, John, is you talk about, you know, trashing your body. And that's something that we haven't, we haven't really uh, talked about yet on the podcast is uh, the daily grind. I mean, if you've been on the water all the time, is there, I mean, is there a certain uh, regimen you go through off season wise or during the season to try to keep your, you know, your back in good shape, your body in good shape? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, as I've aged, I, I think I've had to. So, um, you know, I just, uh, probably five, six years ago, I started going on YouTube and just learning like different core strengthening stuff. And a lot of it's just like yoga stretches, planking, you know, stuff like that really kind of keeps my core strong. And that's made all the difference in the world, you know, standing for 12 hours, bending over to figure eight each cast, you know, or even just standing in three footers walleye fishing while trolling. Um, and then other than that, you know, I've just kind of learned what the right fuel is. And uh, for me, it's, I kind of have like this system now the last couple of years, but it's, it's basically like hard boiled eggs, uh, pepperoni, pistachios, and, you know, tons of water. Um, just a lot of like, a lot of protein is actually what kind of keeps me going. That's interesting. Um, you know, cause everybody, I, it's funny when you're guiding every day, seeing what people bring in the boat and, uh, I always blame that for being fat because uh, guys are bringing candy bars and, and uh, they're bringing Twizzlers, you know? Yeah. <laughs> There's no excuse for that. Uh-huh. Oh, you can 
but seriously, I mean, boat food is pretty wild. And this last weekend, um, I was fishing with Matt Seaford over the weekend on opener here. And his buddy Todd is a clean eater. And he had, in Tupperware, different salads with different dressings. And, I mean, it was pretty pretty cool. And I'm like, wow, I could do that. I, I like that stuff, you know. Um, so the diet side during the fishing day, I mean, that's cool that you said that. That's pretty unique. Yeah, and for me, I like, when I was younger, you know, I'd always cook for my college roommates and my friends. And I was like, kind of a foodie where I literally crave food and I'd always look at like you know somebody who's like a marathon runner who's eating like Todd you know or eating like myself now on the water and I was like I love food too much like that's that's such a boring life you know like why would I do that but when I get into like functional pre-fish week of the walleye tour or you know a long seven-day stint of musky guiding what I've fallen in love with is like how much energy I have from eating properly. So like after the first month of, you know, man, I could go for pizza tonight or whatever, you know, or I want to eat this in the boat. I want to try something different in the boat. Now it's like, I'm that guy. I'm that marathon runner. Who's like, boom, same thing every day. I love it every day. Cause I'm, you know, generally kind of hungry or whatever, but the way that your body reacts to it is the addicting part. Like the performance side of it, is what makes it easy. So it's kind of funny where I used to be the guy who was, you know, hating on the, hating on the eating style. Now it's like, it's part of me. Like I, that's high performance mode for me. Very interesting. Yeah. That's certainly, definitely something that we haven't talked about on the podcast yet. Uh, Brad, it's gonna be a four hour podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's one of those things that's overlooked by a lot of anglers. They're like, ah, do I have the right gear? You know, do I have this, do I have the right baits? But they don't often look at, well, what's going to help me keep me on the water longer? I mean, I know if I go out, sometimes my back starts to hurt and, you know, I will literally sometimes stretch in the boat because I need to. And, um, I think like I said, that's some, that's something that people don't always, that they don't always think about. You know, a lot of people are like Red Bull and monster and all that stuff. Whereas like you were saying, water is really what's best for you when you're out on the water. Yeah, for sure. I'm one that has suffered with back pain, um, since I was in high school, actually, um, I started with a back pain problem, um, I think my sophomore year of uh, high school football. And then as I played in college, um, I made it two years there and that was enough for me. But um, so I live with it every day. And I know John just experienced some of that, too, as he mentioned before we started the podcast. Um, back pain is a big problem, man. And, and when it comes to musky fishing, you're using your back all day. So um Tell us a little bit about that, John, on, on what happened with your back, you know, this winter or whatever, and, and kind of how you fixed some of that. Yeah, I mean, I've had, you know, little flare-ups off and on, little pinched nerve thing, and it lasts for a couple of weeks, and, you know, I see the chiropractor. Um, and then this winter in January at work, I was lifting something, and I actually, it started with this, some, like a, I popped a rib out in between my shoulders, and then that cascaded down to my lower back and uh, ended up having like the worst day of my life. Actually, I got out of bed, severe nerve pinching. And uh, within the next four hours of thinking I was going to go to the chiropractor, I, I had 12 times that I fell to the ground like uncontrollably. So that was the first time I ever went to like the ER in my life. And, um, you know, I got the steroid. Um, they gave me a pain pill. And like that was the first time I've ever, you know, thought that 
a pain pill had a place in medicine where like there was no way I was coping with that. I mean, it was shearing nerve pain. So anyone who talks back pain, like I have so much empathy, sympathy, you know, for anyone who suffers with that. And, um, really, um, the physical therapy has kind of got me through. I've learned a lot more than just those yoga stretches I do. Now there's some little like plyometric type stuff I do. And I, um, you know, whether that was three or four months ago and now I feel, you know, pretty solid. Well, that's good. I, there's nothing worse. Um, (laughs) going into the fishing season and knowing that you got an actual problem, whether it be your knee, your shoulder, your back, whatever it might be. Um, I've experienced that over the years, you know, with my guiding and what have you. And honestly, there's times when I won't fish. Um, I'm guiding, but I'm not fishing, you know, just because of that pain. But um, when you got to fish, like in a tournament scenario, like what you're talking, (laughs) man, it can be kind of a a stressful moment knowing that, uh, hey, I'm in a lot of pain here, but I got to go out and fish. So it's it's curious. I was curious on hearing what uh, what you do to kind of prepare for that. So it's good stuff. Yeah, the thing that sucks too about back pain, and I know you know this because I know who you are as a person. Like you and I are both, you know, optimistic, happy, go lucky all the time. And like back pain is the only thing that can like change your mood, your attitude. And it's like that that's part of that push for myself, why I started like, you know, YouTubing some of those yoga stretches and stuff, like how to be more solid because you know, it's like not catching a muskie for a week. It's it, it affects your emotions, you know, <laughs> just like you know, back pain can affect anyone's emotions negatively. Right. There's no doubt. There's, <laughs> you hit it right on the head, John. Well, I think maybe maybe we could switch and kind of uh, start talking basically how walleye fishing and uh, musky fishing uh, work together and how they um, coordinate, I guess, is the best word to say. Um, and what you think of all that, John. Um, yeah, I'm always, I'm always the number one, like, I, I always want to speak up whenever I hear somebody talk about, you know, the muskies ate our walleyes, um, you know, muskies push the walleyes off the spots, you know, whatever. I, it, no matter what, all the best muskie lakes that we fish are the best walleye lakes too. And, um, to be like that multi-species guy, it's fun to be versed in that stuff, but, um, yeah, when it comes to like similarities, um, the championship two years ago on Green Bay, I had this revelation and, you know, I heard about, you know, how the last turn was, was uh, one casting, you know, rip and wraps or, you know, casting paddle tails, rip and wraps to structure. And you look at Green Bay and you zoom out visually and it's like, where do you begin? So there was like, Halfway through practice, I was driving by, and I remember I saw Mark Broombaugh, who has won money trolling the Great Lakes. He's notorious Great Lakes troller guy. And I saw him casting, and um, it's not like he was holding a spinning reel upside down, but when you looked at him, it was like he was doing what I was doing. He was trying casting for walleyes on Green Bay because that's what he heard won the tournament. And... I was whacking them. Like I started having success right away and I looked at him and I thought about it. I'm like, I got this confidence boost and I'm like, I'm good at this. And I thought back to like, I've been doing this for, for 15 years for muskies. 
pinpointing a cast on vermilion in three footers, you know, a slip drift, um, you know, spot on the spot right where that muskie sits, you know, why it sits there, what's the structure and all the boat control associated with it. So, you know, it's kind of reverse engineering when you start fishing for muskies and there's such a low number of fish that you just have these really small test sample. Um, but what it's taught me over time is like, what is the primest of prime real estate? You know, why is this fish here? What are the factors? What are the small little details? You know, all those little details that we compute naturally as muskie anglers, they're like glaringly obvious in walleye fishing because you have a hundred times more fish, you know, to fish for the, the test samples that much bigger. So, um, that was that original confidence boost as far as like casting on the great lakes and really, you know, that's how I interpret all fish is a lot of what I've learned from muskies, you know, just um, like every detail, everything that's on my graph, my temperature uh, about four years ago used to be in the small setting. Now it's in large, it's right underneath depth. Depth is large, temperature is large. I look at it all the time. Um, th that's one of the things that correlates across all fish species is like that comfortable water temp. Um, is it warming, is it cooling? But um, the other thing that has really made me successful in walleye fishing and ice fishing, and I've done many a seminars on this, is when I first started figuring out like how to really trigger muskies on a figure eight and how fish will react to that perfect timing of a speed increase or a hang on the high outside turn, you know, they're all kind of naturally ambushed predators. I mean, minus maybe a bluegill or a perch. But those triggers and that thought process as I'm casting, um, I have that in my head at all times. I picture a walleye following my bait. I picture a bass following my bait. Um, I picture a crappie following my little tube jig. And muskies have taught me so much as far as triggering fish while casting for them that, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a huge advantage. And to say I'm not surprised that I won might sound ludicrous, but I guess I'm not like I've learned so much from muskies that that was my plan at Green Bay last weekend and it happened. So I, I really, uh, I actually, Jim Sarek messaged me on Facebook the other day and said, congratulations. And I said, Hey, muskies have taught me the details. I got to thank the socks. Like, and, and that's the truth. Well, that's, that's cool stuff. There's no doubt about it. See now for me, um, I grew up, my dad really wanted to, he wanted to catch a muskie. And so I remember these trips, John, because I mean, my dad is not the best angler. Okay. Um, he might be one of the worst anglers actually, but, uh, <laughs> but he was a good dad. You know what I mean? And, yeah. uh, and he understood the drive and, and the want that I had. Um, but I, I hated muskie fishing. I truly, truly hated it. Um, the neat thing was though, is that you know, my transition was bluegills, crappies, northern pike, bass. And then all of a sudden I, I went into the walleye side and I I actually fished some different tournaments in the years past, Cabela's tournaments. And I think there was, I'm trying to even remember, I think there was a team, team something or other here in Minnesota that I fished for a few years. Um, but anyway, the walleye fishing helped me i think become a better muskie angler and the reason i say that is number one boat control and being anal on those brake lines it, it's just 
to me, vote control is really, really key. Today's electronics have changed some of that. I had learned before map cards. I learned before side imaging. Um, and so I struggle back and forth with some of the new technology and what I knew before. But, you know, there's so many different connections between the walleye and the muskie. There truly, truly is. And I, I think it's cool that you brought that up. So Yeah, and and I guess I could have done that too. But muskies got me, you know, when I was 21, 22 years old. And so it was kind of like, you know, a roundabout way back to walleyes and then learning from that. Um, one of the cool things that I, I've done the seminar on is how you can practice being better at triggering muskies on a figure eight by triggering crappies ice fishing. And I do the same thing. Like once I started muskie fishing, figuring that out, um, you know, you go back to Minnesota, live bait, leech, shiner minnow. My dad taught me, you know, they're really fickle. You got to use light line and a Lindy rig and you don't want them to feel you. Um, and that's so funny how you can get stuck in that misconception and think that this walleye is this picky eater, but they are a badass predator. And I remember the exact day that I used soft plastics for crappies my first time ice fishing. And I dropped it down thinking it was going to be like a wax worm. And the fish came up to it and it denied me. And the next one came up and I started putting some movement to it and it maybe nipped it. And then for some reason, this light bulb went on where... I started making them chase it. And now to this day, I call it the move, but it's the exact move I use musky fishing. It's, you know, making your bait react to the presence of the fish. That exact little timing where the fish is coming on and that's when you add the speed right at that time. And that trips their trigger. Now they're all of a sudden animal instinct. And then they accelerate. And right as they reach speed, you know, then you give them a chance. You slow it down. And then it's like this reaction. It works on crappies. Um, walleyes ice fishing. I used to get denied on Mille Lacs so long before musky fishing. Now, when I mark a fish, I literally just start cranking on my spoon. And like every walleye I catch through the ice on Mille Lacs in the winter, I catch five to seven feet off the bottom. And they're like a vapor trail. And that's ice fishing when they're supposed to be lethargic. Um, and I've learned all that from watching muskies at the side of the boat. So, um, I really think that like that's probably the number one thing behind all fish triggering is like interpreting that animal instinct of a muskie, you know, like what, what is that thing doing? What can I, how fast can I make that thing go? And then what do I have, like, after I do get it going at speed, then where do I give it that chance to bite it? And when it starts happening like clockwork, it's, it's probably the coolest thing in my angling career was to like figure that part out. The cat and mouse game. Is basically right. what you're talking about. I've said that in my seminar too. You can literally practice with your cat in a house. Like if you drag a ball of yarn across, she'll the cat will go and pounce on it once. And now the second time, you better have that timing part where when she closes in, you accelerate it away. Now it'll pounce again. Like and to get that thing to like pounce and kill is way different than like have it run up behind and paw at it. Like that's that's exactly right. It's all cat and mouse. It's just not a place I ever thought this podcast was going to go, but I mean, it's a super great analogy and I'm sure a lot of guys are going to be able to take something away from that. That's really, that's a really good tip there, John. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's fun. Kittens and yarn. Yep, exactly. <laughs> uh, we got to a new whole, a new level, Jeff. Yes. 
Yeah, that's a, that's a new level, all right, Jen. <laughs> no, I mean that's like I said. That's I'm not trying to be uh, sarcastic. That was, I mean, that's a really good. That's a really good analogy. And I, I mean, I've obviously heard it before, but it's uh, the way the way you spelled it out there. I think was going to give guys a good visual. You know, even though there's nothing visual about this podcast. Right. Yeah, I hope it does help. And and um, honestly, you can go crappie fishing in a basin and do a hundred reps. And it's the difference of hooking a crappie in the tip of a lip. And I remember that day, every single one of them, I had to take the forceps and get that little plastic out of their throat. And that was when I figured it out. Like, so now if, if you take that as a benchmark, musky anglers and go crappie fishing in the winter, keep practicing until every single one of them is literally swallowing your bait. And then now go correlate that little timing to a figure eight. And I mean, that's, I don't know if it's a secret, but that's that's my thought process on a figure eight for a muskie. But let me ask you this, John. You, you're talking about correlating that to a figure eight. Are you watching that happen on your electronics, or are you actually sight fishing through the hole for the crappie? On oh, yeah, on the electronics, yep. yep. Yeah, just a basin, you know, 25 feet. Yep. And you start above them three feet, they start moving. The second they start moving, you're moving away, you know, just like a muskie, you know. And so then it starts moving with you as you're moving away. You let it catch up. And as it's catching up, you add like double your speed. Then it reacts and doubles its speed. And then right at the very end, it's like a little quicker takeaway. Then it's like it's there. And they basically that last foot is like vapor speed, you know. And uh, that's exactly how I picture when I have a fish nosing my bait, a muskie. And I realized that my first steep down to my right first move, my goal is to create separation from that fish, just like that, that crappie scenario, because a muskie will nip your bucktail if you give it a chance. So if I turn that corner and don't accelerate it away from it, now I might have just triggered that fish to nip my bucktail if it has the opportunity. So I create that separation. I try to get, you know, three feet of separation by being really evasive down to my right. And then my, the visual thing that I don't see on my electronics is I see that fish dive down. And the second I see that fish dive down, that's my sign to go straight high outside, like really steep high outside. And then I'm just waiting up on the top. And my next clue is when that fish starts coming up. So if it's not coming up, like if it's coming up at killer speed, then I just hang it there and it's going to like do that corkscrew death crunch every time. If it comes up at a speed that isn't light speed, the second I see that fish start coming up, its head coming up to my bucktail, that's my sign. That's the react to the presence of the of your of the fish. That's my sign to add speed and go to the next turn. So it's like a simple check down, where each time I'm on the high outside, I'm waiting to see how fast that fish is moving, and it's that same little last little second takeaway, you know, that I use on crappies. Well. <clears throat> the interesting thing to me, John, I mean, it's similar to what you're talking about. You know, when I, when I have clients in the boat or friends, whatever it might be, I always talk about keeping the bait eight inches away from that muskie. So yep. as a fish comes in, if they slow down, you slow down. If you, um, if the fish is speeding up, closing that gap, you speed up. And I always yep. say eight, eight inches, you know? And there's a lot of people that would argue with me on that, you know, hey, you know, you start turning the corner and all of a sudden that fish is going to close the gap and it's going to eat. I get that. But 
just generally speaking, eight inches is my whole, that's, that's the measurement or the number that I try to tell people. Um, yeah. So something that was really interesting last weekend, um, we did some open water trolling, Matt Seifert and I, and uh, then we went into the, into the casting deal because we weren't seeing a ton of fish out in the open water yet. So we shifted gears and started casting. Um, Matt brought up this whole deal that uh, he believes that freshwater fish, I, I guess it's proven in the saltwater world, but he believes that they are right eye dominant. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever talked to Matt about that? And I'm, I'm curious what your opinion is on that. No, uh, I've talked to Matt about a lot of stuff. There's usually like four or five beers involved. So <laughs> that's a lot of beer for me. So that's maybe why my memory's blurry on it. But um, no, I've never heard of like the scientific data conversation. Well, he, he is telling me that it's proven in the saltwater world that uh, the fish are actually right eye dominant. And um, he believes that that correlates with uh, the muskie. And so his figure eight, I told him I always preach an oval because I don't like guys cutting the corner. Um, yep. So I do it. I generally tell everybody, let's do an oval so that we don't cut corners and we get the fish to, to actually continue to follow. Um, yep. You cut that corner at any point, you know what happens. They're going to fade. Um, right. and it, unless you have a ton of practice with that, it takes it takes years of experience or time, you know, to get experienced. Um, so I believe the oval is easier, but because Matt believes that they're right eye dominant, he doesn't believe that uh, doing a an oval is the right way to do it. Interesting. That's what I said. <laughs> so I thought maybe I thought John that you might have went in there into the depths with Matt on that, and maybe we we'll oh. bring Matt back on here and and actually pick his brain on that now that i brought it up we could have what's the world's longest podcast because if we had that on here too we could like check the world record and then go for it well that's kind of interesting because before <laughs> this one started um you know we've been trying to keep it 45 minutes um, yeah jeff uh, just released one and he said hey brad we were an hour and 25 minutes with keith for the real repair so I don't know. I, <laughs> That's we, the beauty of a podcast, though. You can pick it up and listen to the end of it whenever you get back in your truck. Yeah. One hour and 25 minutes. That's the current backlash record. So uh, we got a long way to go yet if you want to hit that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not that we not that we couldn't. I mean, if you got time, Brad, I know Brad's got time because Carrie's the one that does all the work. Oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Something that we didn't say is Carrie's been sitting here listening the whole time. But you know what? You're right, Jeff. I'll, I'll give Carrie all the credit in the world. Rightfully so. Uh, you know what? She was working while we've been doing this. So um, I'm, uh, I might be the face, but uh, she's definitely the talent. That's good to know that. <laughs> it's, good that it's good that you're all right with that. I tell my wife the same thing. I get the fish. I mean, how can I, how can I deny that? You know, you kind of have right. the best of all the worlds there. And bow hunt. Yeah. I, I get the bow hunt. Yeah. I mean, yep. there's a lot of benefits to this whole. I, I do get to 
I do get to do that though. <laughs> yes, I was gonna say. I, I, know, I know. Come November, I get plenty of text messages from carrying a tree stand. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Brad, how yeah. about unlimited double cowgirl supply and supermodels? Like that's got to be up on that list too. Yeah, you know, don't bet on that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you want to know what's funny is the first time that Jason, well, not the first time. Um, there's some funny stories about Jason Hammernick and I fishing together. Um, the first time I ever fished with Jason, I went to Moacs. Jason gets hooked. I, I think I caught like a mid forties fish or whatever. That was a super girl. And uh, wow, well, whatever. But I, um, Jason gets hooked in the arm and the fish <laughs> is just thrashing and it's still pinned, you know? And, um, he is bleeding like none other. I mean, it was horrible. And the first time Jason ever came over by me and fishes with me, he's like, all right, let's just put the fish in the bag. So I put it in the bag. I get hooked, and <laughs> I don't know if you know this about Hammernick, but he does not like the sight of his own blood. He was okay with my blood; it didn't it didn't bother him as bad. Um, but I took the hook out myself; it was no big deal. But uh, anyway, with Jason, he goes, "What do you got for cowgirls?" And I, I open up my tackle box, and he goes, "That's it." And I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> And uh, he's like, you got to be kidding me. You own the company, Brad. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. But I also have to pay the bill. <laughs> so I think he had like 10 times what I had. And I'm the owner of the company. But that's awesome. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Well, that's kind of like in the electrical world, you know. My elect my electrical stuff gets done last. I have a generator, backup generator. It's been sitting out of my house for two and a half years or even longer that it'll never get hooked up because I'm always too busy wiring other people's stuff. Yeah, the, the auto body guy has the rustiest truck. The, uh, yep. the carpenter has the worst roof on the house. You know, I mean, it's, it, it's amazing. It really, truly is. The musky fisherman only vacuums his house twice a year. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Uh, good stuff. So where do we go from here? Well, Brad, you talked about Jason. So why don't we talk a little bit about the PMTT Mega from last year? I mean, you've been on quite a roll, John. Two big victories over the course of, what, eight months, nine months, something like that. Um, yeah. How did how did that tournament go down? I, I, from what I remember, it was a pretty tough bite, wasn't it? Um, yeah, it was for sure. Um, and for me, I, I actually lined up a guide trip. And it was a walleye friend from Ohio, actually. And then he had three three business guys that were coming with him or whatever. And, you know, Jason and I were going to guide them. And, of course, behind the scenes, we're joking. We're like, oh, yeah, well, hopefully they're not that good at musky fishing because I know I'm going to be pulling my bait away from fish. I mean, this is, you know, five, four, and three days before the tournament. Well, we ended up fishing a lot of east side stuff because that's where they were at and it's like i knew those fish were going to be those conditioned fish that had to have a perfect window perfect figure eight you know but we found so many fish over there so and all of it was on like secondary stuff so that's where we started and got like the perfect feeding window you know the skies opened up and i lost one on a big tube jig which i actually have never really thrown before but I was like, you know, why not? And um, I lost like a mid 40 incher. So <clears throat> I had the west side in my mind. We were going to go there on day one, but 
I told Jason, I'm like, we're not even going to pre-fish it at all. Like, um, we don't need to. And I play, you guys know Jason, he's, he's an emotional roller coaster at times. So part of my thought process running the boat was the fact that I didn't want to go over to the West side and not catch anything. And then kind of like us be turned off to it. So we decided to stay East that whole day. And then it was like the writing's on the wall, complete switch. We're going to launch on the West side. We're going to run my milk run. Um, and I'm going to, going to go into tournament mode. And, uh, you know, the more tournaments I fish, the more confident I get in my decision-making process, the more black and white it becomes. And that's really what happened over there. So, you know, right away I go to a community spot. I knew I could beat a lot of the boats to it. I thought there'd be an active fish there in the morning, you know, and we could burn that fish, catch it. And then after that, I'm going to progress down to all the secondary stuff where I assume these guys don't know about. So that's how we did it. And we ended up having, you know, a great day too. We caught uh, two fish, like a 45 incher and I don't know, a 38 incher or whatever. So I think that put us in fifth place and you had to catch a fish to qualify for the third day. So we're in. And, uh, and then obviously you know, day three was going to be a joy because now there's only, you know, maybe 10, 12 boats over there. And um, I was super confident going into that final day. And uh, Jason ended up, we got our little overcast, rainy morning, like game on again. Here we go. And and Jason lost like a low, low 40 incher probably in the first two hours. And we were sad. I mean, I don't get as sad as Jason does, but he knew like that could be the tournament winner. And in hindsight, I think we actually still would have won the tournament with that fish. So it was beating us up. And then the clouds opened up and it was dead bluebird sky, sunny, pulse frontal, like not a prayer. And uh, what ended up happening is I told Jason, I said, hey, man, I've guided over here a lot this time of year and you can have nothing happening. And all of a sudden a muskie will just, a mid 50 inch will just destroy a bucktail out of nowhere. I go, that's all we have going for us. So stay with me. And we kept running spots. And all of a sudden the thing that I was visualizing that whole time, just that right from behind mid retrieve death crunch, it all of a sudden happened. And I rattled the boat on the hook set. I mean, I friggin' smoked that thing. And I remember, I'll never forget Jason's look. He turns his head nonchalantly and then turns his head back forward and then snaps his head to the left and is like reels as real as fast as he can, like frantically, you know? So like it was, that's, he was in disbelief when he saw that ice cream pail on the top of the water. And I was too. I'm like, Oh my gosh. So anyways, I completely horsed the fish to the boat and like, don't get off, don't get off. And we put in the net and it was uh, like 51 and a half incher with uh, there was like an hour left in the tournament. So um, I, I wrote up a social media post and, you know, my dad's a Lutheran pastor. So like I pointed towards literally like gift from God musky hour left. Here you go. Enjoy your tournament win, like out of nowhere. So uh, it was, it was a cool feeling to kind of, get that back together with jason fish a minnesota muskie tournament and obviously execute well let's talk about jason i mean i'll tell you what he is one of the premier guides and and you know the cool thing about it john is that you're able to fish with him and he's going to listen to you too 
You know what I mean? That's cool stuff. I, that's what I love about musky fishing is that uh, every little inkling can help. And you guys made it happen. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And I think that's a really good point that I've told people a number of times. Um, that's something really important in fishing. And I don't know where I picked it up, if it's just, you know, your upbringing or whatever. But for some reason, there's a little detachment in bass fishing. And I think Luke Ronestrand is a guy who told me he thinks he figured it out. So you go to a bass tournament and it's amazing how like puffed out chest confident these guys are. And he said, I think it's because everybody can catch bass, right? Like, well, everybody catches bass, you know, they do it their own way. And if you tell a bass guy, Hey, I caught him on a double cowgirl, slow rolling it. They'll be like, Oh, well, did he try flipping a weedless jig, green pumpkin? Like, that's what I would have done. So I, I'll make it short, but in fishing, it's like, every single person I've ever met in my life can teach me something about fishing. And that's the way when I talk to Jason, when Jason talks to me, when I talk to Ben Olson, it's like when you talk to your network, when you talk to somebody at a dock and you're more of the guy who engages the conversation versus like cutting somebody off and saying, Oh yeah, well we caught three. Like there's something to learn from every single angler, no matter where you are. And you can get so much knowledge out of that simple conversation technique versus, you know, being the guy walking around thinking that you are the best musky angler in the world or the best bass angler in the world. Like that, that rang a bell when you talked about Jason, like that's us when, whenever we're talking fishing, it's like idea, idea, idea. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. This is my observation. So it's, uh, it's always fun getting in a boat, like you said, with like the premier musky guide, one of the three premier musky guides. Well, you know, I remember uh, a year, I don't know. Well, I do know it was uh, 2010 because the new uh, 621 came out and I had a new one. And we were with a, a buddy of ours that we all are friends with. Um, we were at his place on Mille Lacs, and I remember you and Hammernick arguing about who was the best uh, perch fisherman, John. And, uh, <laughs> if you remember that, it, it was walleye opener, and you two were, like, ready to swing, you know? <laughs> it was awesome. It, it's funny. And um, But anyway... I, the neat thing about the whole deal is, is that we can all be friends and we can all argue and, and think about all the different things that uh, we all believe is the right answer. And um, at the end of the day, we're learning something every minute. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's the cool part. It truly, truly is. For sure. And that I'm sure you're in the same vote as me. Like I look at how fortunate I am. Like I'm, best friends with the 10 best muskie anglers in the state i somehow snuck into the upper level of walleye fishing and i i can call all those guys my friends and it's like this it's this amazing opportunity to learn you know and to, to be able to take that in in the right in the right way and let those people like help you and teach you and get your little tidbit here and there it, it's it's uh really pretty cool you know the the gift of that like for us to be talking right now well it, it's fun john there's no doubt about it and 
you know, if there's one person, and I'm going to correlate this with you, John, um, because I've heard this from numerous, numerous people, but if there was one person out there uh, that learns in an instant, and I don't care what you say about a fishing tip or technique, whatever it might be, this guy will pick it up and he'll figure it out. And that's Greg Thomas. And Greg, we could walk by a guy's boat. We're sitting at the dock, right? He walks down the dock. I'm in the water in the boat. And he looks at this guy's boat. And I go, what'd you see, Greg? And he goes, well, he's got seven rods laying on the front deck. And I'm like, okay. And uh, what baits does he have piled up? And he'll say, well, he's got a bulldog and he's got this and he's got that. And what are tied on the rods? And he'll go boom, 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 boom. It's almost yeah. Rain Man stuff. I mean, he's <laughs> yeah. like Rain Man. He's like, we've got this and this and this. And these are the colors that were on there. And this is what was tied on this. And I'm like, oh, my God, man, you're, you're something incredible. Um but what I've heard about you, John, is that you kind of have that same type of uh, uh, memory or um, ability to see something or hear something and put two and two together. And uh, I think that's probably a big part of uh, who John Hoyer is. Yeah, I um, I don't know. where I, I think I got to give credit to Muskies again for that. I mean, you know, that one detail or... You know, you hear one thing and then it just instantly starts spurring like seven other thoughts of why, you know, like everything, it's always why. Like Corey Sprangle said something, he says something on stage repeatedly, but um, it really sums up like how we've been successful musky fishing. But he, he basically says, if I catch a fish, it doesn't do anything for me unless I can figure out why that fish was there. And I think that's really the the most basic thought process to musky fishing, to Great Lakes walleye fishing, to, to any walleye fishing, to any fishing. It's like once you catch a fish at the end of a long cast, you can't see it on your side scan yet. And then you roll in there. It's like, why was that fish there? And now go dissect it. And that's what we have naturally ha learned to have to do for musky fishing, you know, the water's cooling. It's, it's cooler in here. That's why they're in here in August. You know, it's shallower. They're, the top of the water column's colder. So they're all in four feet or less, you know, like all those little details. But I think it really kind of sums it up. Like that fish does nothing for me unless I can figure out why it's there. That's interesting stuff. I mean, I, you've said it numerous times tonight, Watertown. So yeah. Let, let's talk about that a little bit, John. Let's talk about muskies, okay? Let's talk um, right now, beginning of the season. You know, lakes are really, really crazy. I know on our opener here, we were on one body of water, and we had anywhere from 55 to 64. Um, the next day on Sunday, we, we went to a different body of water, and it was consistent 64 to 65. Um, what, are, what are you going to be looking for? in that that aspect as far as water musky um yeah i mean musky fishing for me um i don't do a lot of that early season trolling i really am super impressed of how you guys have all put it together um and it's cool um but one of the simple thought process for me is like i, I try to correlate how i'm feeling with like temperature 
So when all of a sudden I'm wearing flip-flops and it's 80 degrees out and I'm like loving life for the first time in the spring, you know, it's obviously just warmed up. Well, now come August, it's 80 and I'm tired of it. And then you get that first cool down. It's like, oh my gosh, this is so comfortable. Or the nights are getting colder. Um, I think the way that humans, warm-blooded people, like experience temperature changes and how you know, it doesn't really matter the number, but if it was 80 for two months and all of a sudden it was 70, that's going to feel like the ultimate cool down. I think it's amplified like times 10 if you're cold blooded. So that's why, like I said, now I have that temperature gauge large the last five years and one or two degree temperature difference for a cold blooded fish. I really think, I mean, it's not scientific. I've never read anything on it, but I've observed my catch rates when I pay attention to it. And I think it's one of the most important things in fishing, like the fish, smallmouth bass, the unbelievable thermometer on those things. Like I learned that I learned another hundred things of the Sturgeon Bay open this year where, okay, it's calm for three days. This water went up to 51 degrees. Now it all blew out of the bay and it had to escape out of the bay some way. And it went on to this main lake point at the tip of the bay. Well, there's literally no fish like in the middle of that bay now. They all followed that warm water slick out to that shoreline, like like they they had to, and there they are, and they're still biting. And you know, there you go. You got a ten thousand test samples. Well, muskies, I believe, they all the fish. They all have that same thermometer, and like being able to recognize those changes inside a bay is this cooler in here? Because right now I want to be cooler because it's too hot. Okay. Wow. There's a muskie. And on the other end of it, early season, Oh, this is warmer. This is where I want to be. Oh, there's three muskies. So uh, it's just something I think is super important. And it's another thing for people like just make that temperature gauge bigger, have it in front of your face at all times. And inevitably your brain will like start patterning it. I'm with you, John. And like today, um, we tickled the, uh, the, the early nineties today for a uh, temp here up by me. And yeah. I, I mowed the grass. Then I, uh, I shifted gears and started hitting the weed eater and, um, I'm just sweating my butt off and I walk into the shop and it's 70 degrees in the shop. And I'm like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> so the fish are the same way. I mean, relate yourself to the fish. Um, yeah it's the same thing. It truly is. And I think, uh, I think we overlook some of that as anglers at times. Right. Jeff, wake up over there. Sorry. I was reading a text message from my wife. She got, <laughs> she got an issue with one of the kid got busted. That's fair. One, one thing I picked up, I heard, I kind of heard you talk about was obviously with the, you know, relate yourself to how the fish would feel if it's 80, but for a while, and then all of a sudden it's 70, that would probably put you in a better mood. So are you trying to say that like summer cold fronts could potentially be a good thing? Oh, Minnesota, they're the best thing in the world. Yeah. I, I think the basics of it is like the number doesn't matter the most important part is cooling or warming. Like they don't, they, their thermometer doesn't say 80. It says too hot, you know, and then now it's less. So, okay, that this is better. is kind of how I picture it. So the number never matters. Like 
I've seen Minnetonka be 85, 84 for a month, and you get one cold rain in the middle of the end of July, and the water temp drops three degrees, and you'll see mid 50 inches sitting in two feet of water. Like it's a like a light switch, um, and that's just you know now it dropped to 79, where usually it's like oh what's the temperature you're looking for? You know, the number doesn't matter. It's like the change is what matters. Yeah, well, I'm assuming that the majority of muskie anglers just assume that a cold front is always a bad thing, and I'm I'm like you, it's not always a bad thing. You know, I mean, I kind of relate it to, um, you know, like if you're early season, cold front might be a little bit more, you know, that might be a little worse for fishing, potentially. Obviously, you know, muskies are going to do what they're going to do regardless. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm under the same influence that, you know, generally speaking, a change in, if we've had steady conditions at one time, a change can actually be a good thing for muskies. Yeah, I actually, I say that a lot. Muskies love cold fronts. And I think it's just a Minnesota thing where, you know, the water cools from the top down. And I think I, maybe I've just learned to like, okay, we're going shallow. And uh, obviously coming off of summer, summer peak temps or whatever. Uh, I know Brad and Carrie can say the same thing when that water first cools or whatever, any time of year when it's, it's warm and it cools, it's, it's game on and weird in the fall, my biggest bite days, most multiple fish days will come when there's ice on the line, you know, when it's 45 every day. And then all of a sudden you get that, that day that's Northwest and, and 36, I don't know how they know, but. Um, those are the days late in the fall that, you know, you get those multiple bites. It's almost like, okay, we need to get serious instead of we're being complacent. And there again, the temperature number doesn't matter, but we're just complacent. This is fine. Water temp's not changing. No, you know, no urgency. And then all of a sudden, oh, water temp's dropping. Boom. Urgency. Well, so then uh, on the contrary, like, I, I don't know, maybe I'm just off, but I found in the fall, like, you know, you're talking about how if it's a nice day out, you like it, so the fish should like it in a sense. Like if it's, you know, been 30 in October and all of a sudden you get a couple of 45-degree days, I really like being out on the water, but I've never particularly done that well. Do you find it to be similar or not? Um, I mean, I'm thinking like Malax late fall. I have had a couple days that ring like Indian summer type days with like 40-degree water where it's 70 and have done well those two days i've i've fished that day um which again is kind of like yeah you know maybe they were just a little happier that day or whatever um it kind of sounds like we're talking around in circles but you know i you felt good and then hey the fish felt good too you know it all it was all the way down about to ice over and then all of a sudden it's like one nice warm day so i, I definitely had a little success in that too there's no doubt about it. I mean, I, there's some special times. I, I remember um, different things that I've seen here on my local water, as well as Malax and other bodies of water. You know, that first major cold front in August, late August, or beginning of September, um, burn, burn, burn. Get get your baits as fast as you can go, and oh, yeah. you're just going to have tons of numbers and possibly some big fish as well. Um, yep those little things make a huge, huge difference. And it's, it's a matter of changing your technique just a little bit and, um, you got success. So I, 
cool stuff. And as it gets later, you know, do you slow down? Do you speed up? Um, I've said it all along, you know, weather is number one. Number two is speed of retrieval. And uh, being able to make changes and uh, see what these fish want to react to, that's, that's the whole key. Yeah, that's, that's, those are two awesome points for sure. The first thing you change, speed. Good stuff. Well, Brad, really good stuff. we're about an hour. Are we going for a record or are we going to try to wrap this one up? <laughs> I don't know how we wrap this up because, you know, John has brought a bunch to the table. Um, you know, the neat thing about this whole podcast tonight is, you know, we finally tackled the uh, the multi-species side of it, and uh, I'm sure we'll have John back at some point, and uh, maybe we'll dig into some of the different things that uh, we touched on tonight. But, you know, uh, the neat thing is, is that uh, John's been successful with multi-species, and um we definitely want to touch on that with our podcast and uh, we can relate back and forth between species. So I think, uh, I think we can kind of button some of this up, but you know what, John, before we leave, um, is there anything that you can maybe add as a, a tip or a pointer that uh, our listeners can maybe benefit from? Yeah. I know we talked uh, a second before we started and uh, my brain instantly went to the number one advantage, like the number one thing that I think is the most important thing in fishing for myself, like uh, going on six years for myself and that's side scan, side imaging, call it whatever you want. Um, so I have done a lot of seminars on that. And I, if I could just give everybody pointers, like this is, it's why I want a green Bay. Like for instance, um, I, each year, the last five years, I've put 10, 15, 18 muskies in the boat that were behind me. Um, and th there's just a couple cool things that I've really learned about side imaging. And if I could just quick list them in like order of importance. So number one is if you're going to spend money, buy another graph that you can have side imaging on at all times. And your brain will start correlating things as far as marking fish, marking bait, marking structure, it'll it'll just start correlating things and you'll start learning. Like the learning curve will start instantly if you're looking at that thing at all times. So um, the next most important thing is like learning how speed affects that image. And like, especially when you're trying to mark fish and decide if they're big fish or if that is a muskie, um, it's just like setting a couple different speeds. I call it like one mile an hour, three mile an hour, five mile an hour. And there's a couple of cool little things you can do. Um, if you see something in the water in shallow, like a log, for instance, um, you could even go as far as cutting a log 50 inches long, putting it on the bottom and eight feet and driving across that thing at a couple different angles, like a six inch diameter log, a muskie on the bottom. And really like the key thing for me is learning and i know now like i can just look and look at my screen history and say i was making a little left turn i sped that side up so that fish is going to be smaller or the inside turn stretched that out that's not a 36 inch walleye you know but it's probably a fish you know that i stretched out so but just having that on at all times and being able to reference it and starting that learning curve um will really be an advantage to anybody who wants to jump into that so 
Um, as far as making what I call the cast, there's a cool way to do it. Um, if you drive by a dock, let's say some big poles on it or something you can see in the water, um, you know, drive by that at one mile an hour and then just watch a little bit of delay until that thing gets down a couple inches on your screen. And now look where that rock is. And generally at like one mile an hour fishing speed, you know, it's at about a 35, you know, 30 to 40 degree angle off the back corner of your boat. So um, that's the cast. I mean, I caught four or five of my walleyes in that tournament that I weighed making the cast, knowing there was a fish there. Um, it was either a pike or a walleye laying on the bottom. It was something I wanted to catch and, you know, stop the boat and make that cast until that fish bites. So um, the thing about musky fishing that's changed everything for me is you fish through a spot and okay, uh, now what? Are they not biting or are they not here? And once you learn your side imaging to that upper level, you can answer that question confidently and say, they're here, but they're not biting. And I don't know how many more muskies that's put in my boat now that I know to return to those areas repeatedly or at the right time. But uh, you could ask Jason Hamernick when I started kind of briefing them on all those points. And we went through this bay in Florida looking for tarpon. I was like, I've never marked a tarpon on side imaging, but I guarantee you they're going to be weird. And all of a sudden, like, uh, if a tarpon's 10 feet from the boat, it was like blacking out the whole screen. I'm like, well, I guess that's a fish. And like now, the more he looks at it, he just drives around those 10 mile long flats and finds pods of tarpon and then just wears them out. So, again, I just told him, you got to have it on at all times. You got to be looking at it at all times. And your brain will start teaching you everything. And that is the biggest advancement in fishing in the last. 50 years i mean it is so huge uh, hands down um it, you know what's really bizarre about this is that every podcast pretty much everyone that we've done you know we've got 10 down um that is a common topic and i'll tell you what john um there's no doubt about it i mean myself two three years ago um getting to actually relate to what that whole side imaging is about um yep. it's changed the whole game and neat for us um we're gonna have the opportunity to talk to matt cook from hummingbird here shortly um matt can bring a bunch of different things and points to the podcast to help some of these people out there so yeah and, for sure it, it you know it's so cool to think about it really truly is i mean there's oh. been so many different things that have changed over the years but side imaging in my opinion is number one. Oh yeah by far very very cool what do you got to add there jeff wouldn't be a podcast without some side imaging talk yeah <laughs> isn't that amazing i mean it truly truly is amazing i mean that, uh, yeah. we we bring up guests we've had now i think we've kind of hit the range we've had lots of different you know we have 11 now so we had them from all different ranges and almost every single one of them Somewhere along the podcast brings up side imaging every single time. It's not like we're pushing it towards side imaging. It's just right. everybody tells you that's how important it is. Yep. I, think, I think if we were to do this podcast 15 years ago, um, the common topic would, would have been uh, map cards. Yep, that's what I was just going to say. Honestly, I, you know, we went from that. It took us this many years to get to this point, and I don't know just hold on to your seat because I think they're going to come out with more. 
You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It's just coming. It's it's cutting edge. And um, the neat thing is, is that uh, as anglers, we all get the uh, get to participate in that whole learning curve, if you will. So, <laughs> yeah, way more fun. Super exciting. Yeah. Well, John, um, you do a little bit of guiding still. I do. Yes, actually, more and more now. So, if you'd like, why don't you? let people know how to get in touch with you if they were interested in getting in the boat with you. You really think anyone's still listening? I mean, probably because you brought a lot of good stuff to the table. <laughs> they don't, they probably just tune out me and Brad at this point. They only listen for the guest and Carrie. I think that's it. Yeah, I guess uh, a couple of things, you know, uh, my Instagram page is one of the real driving forces to like my promotional angling. So uh, Instagram is John Hoyer fish. I am always doing stuff on my story. Uh, if you're not versed on Instagram, you just push my little icon, my profile picture. And I'm always like showing baits, what I'm catching them on, even muskies, you know, when I'm guiding, I, I really kind of detached from the secrecy and, and I get so much response on there. It's really fun to, to share like things that are working for me and then kind of behind the scenes stuff and, uh, try to be humorous sometimes. But, so that's John Hoyer fish on Instagram, uh, Hoyer fishing on Facebook. And then uh, if you want to contact me for guiding, the best way to do it is just message me on one of those two. Perfect. So, Brad, you want to tell people how to get in touch with Musky Mayhem Tackle? Well, we should probably have Carrie do it, but, you know, because she's been kind of bashful tonight. She really hasn't shared much. No. But uh... You guys are talking way over my head. <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't talk this smart if it wasn't for the cowgirl, Carrie. <laughs> oh, yeah, you could. You'd have something it's... else to talk about. Well, no, it's made magicians out of all of us. Good stuff. Carrie, you want to share? Uh, you can reach us through our website at www.muskymayhemtackle.com. You can reach us on our Facebook page, say Musky Mayhem Tackle. Um, and you can also reach us through our Instagram page, Musky Mayhem Tackle. And if you'd like to know a little bit more about my company, you can go to teamrhinooutdoors.com. We sell a bunch of custom muskie baits. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, pretty much everywhere there's social media. For Backlash Podcast, we have an Instagram account and we have a Facebook page. You can find us, uh, you can reach us via email at backlashpodcast at gmail.com. And you can find our podcast on most everywhere you'd want to find a podcast. It'd be iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Podbean, and I think that's it. John, I really got to thank you for coming out tonight. I mean, you did a great job. You got in depth with a lot of different stuff. You hit a lot of points that we haven't touched on this podcast. I mean, I th I'm thinking that the listeners are going to like this one. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yes. Congratulations on your two big wins in the last nine months. That's awesome. I mean, not a lot of guys are ever going to hit that pinnacle, and that's, I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. I'm I'm looking forward to some musky tournaments this summer, too, so. It's good stuff, John. You know, everybody should be uh, paying attention to what you're doing out there, and I can't thank you enough for joining us tonight, and uh, look forward to seeing where you go with it from here. And uh, I'm sure we'll probably have you back on the podcast at some other point. All right. And I'll send you a picture of my first backlash of the year. Perfect. Hey, we could use one of those. We need some of those for some social media. So if there's anybody out there that has a nightmare ba uh, backlash, we would love, love to see, to see it. Yeah, that's sweet. I, I love backlashes. <laughs>
not let let me clarify not a back rash we want back <laughs> oh brother nice. good stuff man thanks for for being on with us john good luck yeah we'll see it we'll see you next time yep good luck john have a great year thanks bye